Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I am back with another scheme theme episode for you guys today. I really appreciate, I just want to say this at the outset, I really do appreciate the positive feedback from the first episode last week. I do know that was a lot of information to digest, but I want to kind of kick things off with a bang. And I hope that episode did shed some light on exactly why and how our defense has become so dominant against the run the past couple of seasons. And of course, as I said on that episode, of course players have a lot to do with our dominance against the run. I mean, having a massive and athletic nose guard like Jordan Davis that is essentially an immovable object and can consistently control multiple gaps, certainly that makes a coach's job far easier, clearly. But as I said on the show last week, a lot of teams, a lot of teams have good players, but they don't come close to defending the run like we do. Yeah, even Alabama. So it's about more than players. It's about scheme. It's about technique. And I tried to detail some of the things. We do a lot more than what I detailed. I wouldn't want to go too far off the deep end, but I tried to detail some of the things that we do schematically and technically at each level to dominate against the run like we do. So if you miss an episode and you want more information on that, go back and check that out. It'll be up there, obviously, all summer long. So you can go back at your leisure and check that out. But today, we're going to move on and we're going to continue our scheme theme series with an in-depth look at the star or nickelback defensive back position. We call it the star in our defense, as does Alabama, but, but there are different names for it in different defenses. Different coaches have different terminology. West Virginia, for instance, calls theirs the spear position. But like whatever you call it, whatever terminology you use, they're really just different names for the same position, which is the nickel or slot defensive back. And I know I told you guys last week that this episode was going to highlight various adjustments Kirby Smart has made in his defense over the years to keep pace with the spread offense evolution. But with the relatively recent transfer of Tyke Smith, I guess it's been about a month, month and a half at this point, but with his relatively recent transfer, and of course, the hype surrounding that transfer, 
I thought it would be worthwhile to take a detailed look at that position. I'd actually planned to run this episode later in the month. It was going to be like episode three or four of our scheme theme month. But our man Cliff brought up last week in a Twitter exchange. So I figured, you know what? Why not? Let's If the people want it, let's go ahead and move it up to this week. We can move some of these things around. There's nothing that has to be set in stone. Uh, so in this episode will be a little bit different than last week's inaugural scheme theme month episode. It's not going to be quite as technical. It's going to be kind of like a combo history of the evolution of the star position and then an explanation of why it has become an indispensable and omnipresent part of modern demons of football. And I do also, before I get into it, I want to put this out there. I had a couple requests, actually more than a couple of requests for me to try to put some of this stuff on video, like make a YouTube video to kind of illustrate this visually. And I totally get that. I actually mentioned that in the episode last week. I'm very much a visual learner and I know it obviously would help when we're talking about some of these really technical scheme things to see this visually. I honestly, I'll just be real with you guys. I'll be straightforward. I try to always be straightforward with you guys. I don't have the technical expertise to be able to do that right now, but I'm going to figure it out. All right, I'm trying to figure it out. I, I'm not going to promise I can figure it out. I'm going to try to teach myself and figure out how to do it. I, I taught myself what six, however many years ago, five, six, seven years ago, I lose count now, how to uh, record, produce, edit podcasts and all that kind of thing. I taught myself how to do that from scratch. Never took a lesson on that. Just kind of sat down and figured out how to do it. So it took me a little while, but hopefully I'll be able to figure out the video side of things. I have an idea how to do it. I just got to figure out exactly what program and then go back and find the tape. So no promises there, but I'm going to try my best. I am trying my best actively right now to figure out how to do that. I'm going to find the time to go get the video and all that kind of stuff. So don't hold me to it, but at some point here in the next month or so, I'm going to try to get some some video content out to you guys in some way, shape, or form. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. But anyway, let's go ahead and move on. And, and I'm going to start this discussion off with this thesis, all right? Let's start with a thesis. And the thesis is, my thesis is, the star or nickel DB position, whatever you want to call it, is now the most important position in modern defensive football. I'll say that again. Our star DB position, what we call the star, is now the most important position in modern defensive football. And yes, I can visualize you guys right now. I can see some of you that disagree with me out there just shaking your head, scoffing at that notion. I mean, the star is just your third best cornerback who couldn't crack the starting cornerback lineup, right? How can that guy, a backup cornerback, how can he be the most important player on the field for any defense? How can that be the most important position on the field? Well, I used to be right there with you guys who are kind of like squinting your eyes, trying to figure out exactly what I'm talking about. I used to be right there with you. I am an old school linebacker. So I grew up thinking that that was the most important position. Like inside middle linebacker, that's the most important position in football. And once upon a time, yeah, maybe it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago or whatever. And then, you know, you move into the early 2000s and you see like, like Alabama, guys like Mount Cody, Alabama, you see the 3-4 defense become more prominent at the college football level and the NFL level. Those big physical, like Tony Saragusa, right? Way back, they're going way back to the Baltimore Ravens. Mount Cody at Alabama, those big, double team eating nose guards and a 3-4, that was the most important position, right? You had a guy like that that could eat up those blocks and free up linebackers to run around and make plays. And then maybe that was true for a little while. I'm not going to say it wasn't true for a little while, but things change, guys. Nothing's static in football. That's one of the reasons I love this sport so much. It changes constantly. There's a constant evolution. Nothing stays static. 
And as I've watched the spread offense proliferate and take over offensive football, really at all levels of the sport, and just watch offensive records fall and scoreboards light up across the country, I, I just started researching, man. Like I, I, I told you guys last week, I just love this stuff. It fascinates me. So I started researching, started searching for answers. And through that process, my thinking on what is the most important position on defense has evolved. It has evolved over time. It has. So just sit back for a, for a little while here and, and let me defend my thesis that the star DB position has become the most important defensive position in modern football. You don't have to agree with me. That's okay. It makes the world go around. It's totally cool to have reasonable discussions about these kind of things. But at least hear me out with an open mind. That's all I ask. Just hear me out with an open mind. And let's start by acknowledging this at least. right? Can we all acknowledge this, that the quote-unquote base 3-4 defense itself has largely evolved itself over the years to address the issues posed by the spread offenses that were slicing up defenses in the early mid 2000s really the entire 2000s basically you know forever when we talked about quote unquote base three three four defense what were we talking about well forever base defense if you're talking about a three four defense what that meant was what we're basically referring to what we call now like our heavy package with three defensive linemen, you have a zero-tech nose guard or a shade nose guard. You can play a one if you want. It's fine, whatever. But a zero-tech nose guard is typically right head up on the center. A three-tech defensive tackle and then a five-tech defensive end, right? You have two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers, two cornerbacks, and two safeties, right? That was the traditional base 3-4 defense. That's kind of what I mean. I grew up playing in a 4-3, but as you learn more about what three, four defenses are, that's kind of what you learn, right? But that is no longer the base defense in a three, four defense. Like what was base can no longer reasonably be considered base defense, at least not one that is competent stopping spread offenses. It can't. What the base defense now has become is a four, two, five configuration with those three interior defensive linemen, but only one outside linebacker. Now, sure, you can have different personnel packages where you can have you can have uh let's say you said three interior defensive linemen you have two interior defensive linemen and two outside linebackers we call that cinco for us where you have five dbs you still have you have basically have four down line we're, we're running an even front which means you have four defenders an even number right along the defensive line so they're kind of interchangeable that those four defenders on the defensive line could be three interior defensive linemen like let's, let's say you could have Devonte wyatt jordan davis and last year it would have been malik herring right or this year would be trayvon walker and then you have Aziz Ojolari or Nolan Smith out there. Or it could be that you have what we call Cinco, which should be like Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, and then you've got Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith out there at the same time. It's still only a four-man defensive line. It's just a different personnel grouping. But the fact is, base defense has become a 4-2-5, where whatever the front looks like, you have four guys up front, two inside linebackers, and five defensive backs, okay? And we were in some form of nickel defense, 60 two percent of the time in 2019 i don't have all the numbers from last year i looked them up as best i could i could not find those numbers from 2020 but in 2019 we were in our nickel defense 60 or some form of our nickel defense whatever the front might have been 62 percent of the time all right let's look at let's take it even further in 2019 we were in nickel 62 percent of our defensive snaps dime which is six defensive backs nickels five defensive backs Dimes a step further. That's six defensive backs, which is what you see in our third down defense typically. When it's third long, that's what we're in our dime. We have six, six DBs on the field. 
And then we were in our quarter package, which we don't use very often. I really that's basic against LSU. Four uh, percent of the time, quarters when you have seven DBs on the field. So if you add that up, we were in nickel, dime, or quarter. Eighty-seven percent of our defensive snaps in 2019. What that means is that there were only 13% of our defensive snaps left over. So the most we could have been in what was traditionally the base 3-4 defense was 13% of the time. But, they, but in reality, it was even less than that because you were in goal line situation from, from time to time. So about 10% of the time, we were in what was traditionally considered that old school base 3-4 defense. That's why I say that's not base anymore. That's the specialty package, right? Nickel, 5 DBs on the field, 62% of the time. That has become our base defense. Well, how do we get there? Because that wasn't always the case, right? It wasn't always the case. When I was playing and coaching, it was the inverse. We were, you were in your base, that true old school traditional base defense about 60 plus percent of the time. So things have flipped. You know, back, back when I was playing and coaching, you know, years and years ago, there were basically two wide receivers on most offensive plays. So a defense only needed two cornerbacks to cover those two wide receivers. It was that simple. It was really just that simple. And then occasionally as time wore on, an offense might throw a third wide receiver out there, but that's okay because defensively, we'll just let the inside linebacker or safety cover that wide receiver. We can stick in base. We'll be okay. Offenses weren't that advanced yet, but we know that changed. So how do we get to this point? Again, with a traditional base defense, that has become a specialty in situational defense. While the nickel that was formerly the specialty in situational defense, that has become our base defense. So to understand that and how that happened, we're going to have to rewind things a little bit here and go with a little college football history lesson. I love history. I love me some history. I hope a lot of you guys do too. But we're going to go back and talk about some college football history to help set the stage for where we are today and why I personally, again, go back to my thesis, think the star or slot DB or nickel DB position, whatever you want to call it, has become the most important defensive position in football. To really understand why I think that's the case, I think it's imperative to understand how we got there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Now, I've read on I've read on this pretty extensively over the past four or five years as as I've seen offenses kind of explode and just try to figure out ways to stop them. I saw where football was heading, and I, and I want to give credit to a guy named Ian Boyd. Some of you might be familiar with him, um, but his work used to be featured on a site that I used to love. It was called Football Study Hall, and maybe some of you guys used to read some, some of their stuff as well. I hope you did, because, man, that was an awesome site. 
But um, RIP, rest in peace, Football Study Hall is no longer around. But Ian Boyd would always put some great articles out there, and I used to love to read what he would put up there. And it was while I was reading one of his articles on the rise of the 4-2-5 defense and kind of historically how that had happened that I first kind of just settled on this idea that, oh my God, like the nickel position had become the most important position on defense. Like it just, it was kind of that epiphany for me. It just hit me. Like reading, I remember reading the article, I was like, oh my God, like that's the most important position on defense. Like things have changed. So I just want to give him a shout out here to Star because he certainly has kind of informed my uh, intellectual evolution when it came to what's most important for uh, for a defense down. Like what's the most important position on the field? But let's get back to the task at hand. And I'm going to take you all the way back to the turn of the century, the year 2000, when most of us first saw a nickel defense as a base defense, at least in a game that was on as big of a stage as the 2000 National Championship game was. I was actually just, I was a young dude, man. I was a young man just entering high school back in those days. But even I remember Chris Winkie and the Florida State Seminoles just lighting up the scoreboards under a man that would very shortly, in short order, we would come to know and love uh, a very young Mark Rick, by the way, if you guys remember back, right? That's where he was. Offensive coordinator Florida State, has great success there, parlays that into the Georgia job. Well, that FSU offense was averaging almost 550 yards a game, 549 yards a game, 7.1 yards per play that season, 42 points per game, and 9.8 yards per pass attempt, almost 10 yards an attempt. All of those were almost unprecedented offensive numbers for that era. Nowadays, I don't say it's ho-hum, but it's not necessarily uncommon. But back then, that was relatively unprecedented. But in the BCS National title game against Oklahoma in 2000, that high-flying Florida State offense hit a brick wall. The Knolls got shut out on offense. They lost the game 13-2. to I bet if you told any Florida State fan going to that game, hey, you're going to hold Oklahoma to 13 points, they would have really liked their chances to win that game. Again, averaging 42 points a game, 550 yards a game. But they got shut on offense. It was 13-2 to in that game. And they were held to only 5.2 yards per attempt. Almost half of what they averaged per attempt throughout the rest of the season. The Knolls didn't know what hit them in that game. But what hit them was a young Roy Williams. If you remember that name, right? Eventually goes on to play for the Cowboys. He was a star safety for the Sooners leading into that national title game. But in that game, to attack Florida State and what they like to do offensively, they moved Roy Williams to nickelback to combat Florida State's pro-spread attack. And so what that did is it made it really hard for Florida State. The Seminoles couldn't feast on matchups that got their speedy playmakers in space against linebackers as easily as they had all season long as everyone else they played because what Oklahoma did is they countered with more speed of their own without sacrificing much against the run with Roy Williams' physicality and tackling ability. Basically, they moved him down, took an outside linebacker out, moved him down to the nickel position, brought another safety in, and now you have more speed, you have more athleticism on the field to match Florida State's athleticism at the offensive skill positions. And it worked. It worked, guys. It worked masterfully. And they saw how well it worked. So in 2001, when this is when really when Roy Williams became a household name. He won the Thorpe Award, the Nagurski Award that year in 2001 as a junior. He did that largely playing from that nickel spot. So it was a massive success there. 
But the crazy thing is, despite that success that Roy Williams had in that role, it still took about a decade or so for the nickel defense to become standardized across the cultural landscape to the point where, again, it's base, it, is our, it is base. It's base for pretty much every defense out there, some form of that where you got five DBs on the field, whatever you want to call it, whatever terminology you want to use. I mean, you guys know all this. A, a lot of these old-timer coaches, they're resistant to change, especially the defensive guys. Like, they, they're sitting there saying, you know, yeah, it, it, it worked against FSU, but it, it was still seen as a gimmick, right? It's still a gimmick in most defensive circles. To a lot of those old defensive guys, defensive football was still about size, strength, just physically dominating your opponent, like all that alpha male stuff, right? That's what it was about. Well, okay, you can think that, but offenses increasingly began to disagree with that notion as the 2000s progressed and the spread really started to take off. And so by 2007, let's fast forward to 2007, offensive records were falling all over the place. I know some things of some of those records have been broken in the what 13, 14 years since that point. But 2007, I think they had like at the time it was like four or five of the highest scoring games in college football history. I mean, games were being played in the 60s and 70s, really unprecedented stuff. And I'm not going to detail the evolution of the spread offense on this episode because we would never get out of here if I went down that rabbit hole. But let's just, let's go with two programs in the mid-2000s. I think we're doing it better than anyone, or at least we're running versions of spread offenses and using that to win at a higher level than anyone else was at that time. And that was first Texas with Vince Young, and then as much as I hate to give them any sort of credit, the Urban Meyer Florida teams. Yeah, it it hurts to say that, but yeah, I mean, they, they were doing it better than anyone at that time. Uh, and those that fail to learn from history, you guys, you've heard this, come on, we all have heard this, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it, right? Right, we all know that. And in that epic 2005 national championship between Texas and, and Southern Cal, the Trojans failed to adequately apply the lessons that Oklahoma and Bob Stoops at, at Oklahoma had taught the college football world and they're just, I mean, really, it was truly, it was a shocking domination of that high-powered Florida State offense in the 2000 national title game. Southern Cal, you know, they're really talented, right? And this is when this is when USC was rolling in the early 2000s. They had all the talent. They were getting everybody they wanted, right? So, yeah, they're feeling good about themselves. It's USC. So they arrogantly came out against Texas in their base 4-3 defense, thinking that they could defend Vince Young and that Texas spread attack with bigger, less athletic personnel. And while, you know, linebacker Keith Rivers, and remember, you remember this guy's name, right? Brian Cushing, right? Former high school American, big-time recruit. He was a true freshman that game. And him and Rivers were really athletic for your average linebacker. Yeah, of course they were. But they weren't athletic enough to match up with the Vince Youngs of that day, like his running ability and the manner and just in general in which Texas just spread the field and forced those linebackers to play in space. They weren't equipped to do that. And yeah, USC eventually adjusted later in that game, but it was too late, man. It was too late. And when they did bring in a 50B, it was an undersized cornerback, which is a backup cornerback who like who couldn't really correct the field as an actual cornerback. Well, let's just throw him in there and try a little more speed on the field. And then the very next year, in the 2006 BCS National Championship game between Florida and Ohio State, Florida did what they did back then. They opened the game in a four-wide set. If you remember, they had got names like Dallas Baker, Andre Caldwell, Jamel Cornelius in a very young, I think it was, was he a freshman? Either a freshman or sophomore, Percy Harvin. And, and this time, I'll give Ohio State credit here. This time, Ohio State kind of learned from the lessons that Oklahoma taught back in 2000. They saw what Texas did and what, and really the failures of Texas in that 2005 game. 
and, and they tried to adjust, but they didn't fully grasp it. To their credit, they did come out, Ohio State did come out in nickel defense to counter Florida's spread in that game, but they still didn't have the personnel profile right. That was their mistake. The guy that they played at nickel in that game was a 5'9", about 190-pound former walk-on. They were still treating that nickel back position like a specialty package and the nickel position as kind of a spot for a backup caliber player, not a starting level talent. I mean, they put a former walk-on in that spot, in that game, in that moment. And what did Florida do? Well, yeah, they see, okay, yeah, you're trying to get more speed on the field, but he's undersized and he's not a, he's not a starting caliber player. So we're going to go at him. And Florida attacked him with bubbles and screens and space that are really just, I mean, for Florida, especially back then, but for really, really any spread team, those are just extensions of the run game. And he couldn't hang. He couldn't hang. They had to rely on the linebackers to come clean it up because their nickel, well, yeah, he gave them more athleticism on the field. He wasn't big enough to hold up against the run or Florida's bubble screen game. So I got to give them some credit. They got it half right. They were close. They were taking a step in the right direction. But in that game, like Southern Cal before them, they were using the nickel defense as a specialty situational defense that in their mind would stop the Florida pass spread in their, in their passing game. But with who they put in that nickel spot, they just were not sufficiently equipped to stop the run game or some extension of the run game with those bubble screens. So what you saw there was that Demons coordinators, at least in that game, now you can see Demons coordinators were at least starting to come around to the idea of at least, the very least, putting more athletes on the field to counter those spread offenses that were attacking space. But they just still hadn't quite fully grasped the type of player that they needed in that extra DB role. Now let's fast forward about five years or so to 2011. I know it's been a decade. Man, it's hard to believe. It's been a decade since 2011, man. All right, but if you remember... 2011, that was the year of the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew at LSU, still playing in the NFL today. He played a good bit as a freshman in 2010, but like really no one outside of Baton Rouge knew who this guy was, at least really not on a national level. He wasn't a household name. But then in 2011, he was slated, coming to that year, he was slated to replace Patrick Peterson, who was, who was moving on. He was going to replace him out wide at cornerback. But in the, their first game that year, they played Oregon. And that was a Chip Kelly Oregon team. And that was back when Chip Kelly was like, the, he was the spread genius, right? Like he was all the rage in, in college football from, as an offensive mastermind. You, you guys remember those days, right? It's kind of passed us by. But back then, he was, he was the it guy when it came to spread offenses in college football. And uh, he was, you know, he was, again, just very famous for his version of that spread offense. So finally, you see a team in a big-time nationally televised matchup. You saw them get smart. And LSU, what they did is they decided to slide their starting caliber player, in this case, the Honey Badger, Matthew. They slid him, him inside to nickel, and they brought another player off the bench to play outside at the, the traditional cornerback spot. They realized how important it was to have a guy like Tyron Matthew that could be kind of a hybrid defensive player in that nickelback spot. And LSU won that game against Oregon. And they used him a lot there later on in the year in another non-con game against Geno Smith, Tavon Austin, West Virginia. You guys remember how, how explosive Tavon Austin was, right, out of the slot? Well, they wanted to have a starting caliber player to match up with Tavon Austin. That was the Honey Badger. Now, even LSU at that point, like they weren't ready to exclusively play, play Matthew at nickel, 
He still played some cornerback because like the spread had still not completely taken over college football yet in 2011. Like back then, Bama was still running the ground and pound offense, and so was most of the SEC. So they weren't playing playing in there all the time. But when they were playing teams that featured spread offenses, it was Matthew that they put inside the majority of the time. And like even he, like even the Honey Badger wasn't like a prototype nickel defender because he was a little undersized at 5'9", about 175, 180 pounds. He's about, he's about 190 now in the NFL. But he was, but even though he's a little undersized, he was fearless. And he was a great tackler. And he just kind of played with that physicality. He played bigger than his size, which is why he still plays safety slash nickel back in the NFL. He's never been a cornerback in the NFL. He's been a safety or nickel guy. And what he allowed LSU to do was match up against the extra skill players that those spread teams were deploying in space at the same time, without sacrificing really anything against the run. Look, I'm not. I can't sit here and tell you that Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, was the first starter caliber player to be put in that position on a regular basis anywhere in America. I can't tell you that, but he was certainly among the first real high-profile starting caliber players on a national title-contending team to be moved to that position on anything that was close to a regular basis. And he was extraordinarily effective in that spot. And LSU won a lot of games. They lost to Alabama. That was the rematch year, right? They beat Alabama, was it 9-6 to six or something in Tuscaloosa? And they lose the rematch in the national title game. So that was where you started to see a, a big shift there. It still took a few more years for the nickel as a base to become standardized across the country. But we're there now. We are there now. Defensive coordinators have finally realized that, look, I mean, they, they just can't. They can't get away with just sending some random cornerback somewhere down the depth chart in a specialized package on third down. They can't do that. They have to find a starting caliber player and play him there and keep him on the field the vast majority of the time. The old base defensive old with only four DBs, that's again, again, like I said earlier, that's become the specialized package. The roles have been reversed. Okay, I'll give you the numbers here one more time just to reiterate it. In 2019, we were in nickel 62% of the time. We were in either nickel, dime, which is 60 Bs, or quarter, 70 Bs, 87% of the time. And the percentages, give or take a few, are similar across the country because you can't defend all the athletes that can run those spread offenses. You can't defend all those athletes they're putting into space without matching it with more athletes that can run of your own. Uh, and actually, I went and found some NFL numbers for uh, the year 2015, now I know it's about five or six years ago, whatever, but even back then, it's two-thirds of the defensive snaps in the NFL 2015 were with five or six DBs on the field. And it's only exacerbated from there, right? Because offenses have only gotten more advanced. They've only bought into spread concepts more and more in the succeeding, the succeeding years after 2015. So, it's just base. That's what it is now, guys. Whatever level of football you're talking about, that's it's base. It is. And this is exactly what I've been talking about for months when I talk about hybrid players. You've heard me talk about this. Offenses over the years, they jumped ahead of defenses by employing the use of different kinds of hybrid players that put defenses in run-pass conflicts. And when I say run-pass conflict, it basically means the defense can't be right, where the offense can run the ball or throw the ball on the, in the exact same play, right? They have package plays where it could be a run, could be a pass based on what the defense does and based off what the personnel packages are out there and what the matchups are. And if you can put defenses in run-pass conflicts like that with hybrid skill players, you can't be wrong if you read it correctly. 
and the defense can't be right if you read it correctly. So whether it's a hybrid tight end that can block, run, and catch the ball with equal effectiveness or anything close to equal effectiveness, like a Kyle Pitts or a Travis Kelsey from the Chiefs, or a running back that can run the ball and, and catch the ball in the backfield, or even line up out wide without skipping a beat, like a, let's say a guy like Clyde Edwards-Alaire from LSU a couple years back, those kind of guys made it really hard on defenses. It took a while for defenses to catch up to those kind of players. But now they have, at least in that regard, caught up. They finally realized that to neutralize the run-pass conflicts that offenses were putting them in, play in and play out with those hybrid offensive skill players, defenses had to respond with hybrid defensive players of their own. Now, initially, like the first big answer that a lot of these teams coordinators had to hybrid skill players was using different packages that would match up with the personnel that offenses had in the field. It didn't also match up based on situation. You know, on third down, the offense subs in an extra wide receiver. Well, heck, we better sub in an extra DB in our nickel or dime package to match up with that, right? But offenses got smart to that and said, yeah, well, we'll just find players that can serve multiple purposes so that we never have to sub. And then we'll go with tempo, which keeps you from being able to sub your, all your specialized packages on the field. And we'll just slice and dice you with whatever personnel package you have on the field because whatever you have on the field, they only specialize in one thing, be it stopping the run or stopping the pass. While we have these hybrid guys that can do both, right? In essence, the defense couldn't be right. There again is that run-pass conflict. So yeah, the obvious answer to that matchup issue for defenses is to find your own hybrid demons of players that can serve multiple purposes for you. You know, guys that can play in the box against the run or cover athletic skill players in space. You need guys like Roquan Smith, an inside linebacker, or Minka Fitzpatrick at the nickel back position for Alabama, or hopefully for us, as we get to a little bit later on in 2021, a guy like Tyke Smith at our, at our star position. And, and that's why nickel kind of sum this up here. That's why nickel has become our base defense over the years. It allows us to match the hybridization of offensive skill talent and really just offenses in general that are trying to put defenses in those run pass conflicts and create matchup advantages. But it's easier said than done, right? Okay, that's in theory, that's why it's so important. But it's much easier said than done. Guys like Kyle Pitts or Clyde Edwards-Alaire, they don't grow on trees. Just like they don't grow on trees, it ain't exactly easy to find Roquan Smiths, an inside linebacker who can play between the tackles, blitz, and cover in space. Or Minka Fitzpatrick that can do the same at star or nickelback. It's hard to find those kind of guys, right? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Divas and coordinators, they figured out what kind of personnel they need. Like they know now, after all these years, and we've evolved to the point where coordinators are like, okay, yeah, I, I see what I need. Now the hard part is, just finding guys that can do those things, right? That fit that skill set and that physical profile. So 
Let's talk about that for a minute here. What type of skill set does a star actually need, that nickel back? What do they actually need to be able to do? Well, a lot of things, actually. I mean, they generally need to be of enough stature to fit against the run in the box. And, and there are exceptions. They're like Mo Smith for us in 2016. He wasn't a huge guy, but he was effective against the run. Again, Tyron Matthews, not a, a huge guy, but he's effective against the run. You just have to be willing and you have to have some guts and you just have to be able to fit in there against the run and take on those blockers. You also need, obviously need to be able to cover in space. You are still a DB by name, right? You still got to be able to cover in space. And to take that a step further, specifically, Lateral, like lateral agility is important for any defensive back, really any defensive player, but it becomes, it, it takes on added importance for that star position because you're defending a lot of those shifty slot wide receivers like a Tyree Kill or Kadarius Tony from Florida last year. Those guys are really tough to defend in space. Um, you also be able to blitz off the edge. You have to be an effective, effective pass rusher. And against the pass, it, 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 as a star, you kind of function as a DB against the pass. But you gotta be able to function as like an undersized linebacker against the run. Again, it's just tough to find guys that can function like that, that have that hybrid ability. Like the star, I guess I would say is like it, it, that position, it's a Swiss army knife. Like that, the guy that can play that position is a Swiss army knife that, you know, might have to take on a big offensive tackle and set the edge on first down in a run fit. But then, you know, cover the shifty as wide receiver on offense with a two-way go in the slot on second down. And then maybe blitz on third down. They truly are a jack of all trades out there. You also need a guy at that position that has some serious football intelligence because when you are operating in the slot, wide receivers have a two-way go. Let me kind of explain what I mean by that. Like, if you're a cornerback out wide, you have the boundary, right? The out-of-bounds area. You can use that as an extra defender that can limit the types of routes a wide receiver can run on any given play. You can limit that. You can you, you can use that as an extra defender, and you know, okay, well, if he's out here on the boundary, well, there's only a certain number of routes that he could run, especially based on how I'm, I'm shading him and the leverage that I'm using on this play. But if you're talking about a nickelback defending a receiver out of the slot, there is no boundary there, right? They have a two-way go. They can go inside the inside route tree, the outside route tree. They're all available to them. Every single route on the tree is available to them. And sure, you can shade and try to take some routes away with leverage. Like you can, you can, you can take inside leverage, try to take that slant away, but that leaves you vulnerable to the complementary routes. Like remember back to the the Florida game in 2019, where it seemed like Mark Webb just kept beating, getting beat to the inside on slant after slant after slant. Well, eventually, okay, he was going to be getting this hard. Like it's a, it, it's it's easy to really criticize the slot DBs because oh man, like they're giving him all these receptions, guys. It's so much tougher to cover from that spot because number one, the receivers have a two way go. Right, you you don't you can leverage one way and, and think you can force them at the you know to the opposite side, but it doesn't always work out that way. And also. You can't really play up in their grill. You can't really press them. You're playing, they're off the ball. You're kind of off the ball. It's tough to press them. So they really truly do kind of an unencumbered two-way go there. You have to be a really, really good cover guy with great lateral agility that can match their shiftiness and also great closing speed. You gotta be able to break on the ball. All those things are really, really important. And so again, go back to the Florida game. They were killing us with those slants late in that game in the fourth quarter. And so finally, you know, we had to adjust and we we played with the inside leverage there, try to take that away. But then they just kind of hit those little quick outs, little little whip routes or whatever it is, 
And that is now tough to defend. You, you, give them, you take away the inside, when you shade them on the inside there and play with inside leverage, well, they'll just break outside because you're not there. They're going to go where you're not. It's tough. It's a really tough position to play. So from a mental standpoint, a football IQ standpoint, it's really imperative that those slot defenders, those star position players, have the ability to read releases and read route combinations and understand what's coming to them. And because you know, they have a lot to be worried about, they have, to, they have a lot to be thinking about pre-snap. They have to be worried about, you know, the offensive line and who might be pulling to block you if it's a run play. They have to be worried about the wide receiver splits and where their help is going to be. They're worried about all of that pre-snap. So there's a lot going through their head. They have to be able to process that. And then post-snap, you have all that space to deal with, all the eventualities. What could be a run? It could be a pass. A lot of times, you're the the guy that they're uh, optioning off of in RPOs, you've got to have the football IQ to be able to play that position. And of course, as I said earlier, it's absolutely critical that the guy in that position at the star has some guts and just isn't afraid to be physical because they're always going to be undersized when playing in the box and offensive linemen. Sometimes they're going to have to take on pulling guards, tackles, whatever it might be when they're setting the edge in whatever the play call might be. That happens from time to time. So the bottom line is, without a hybrid nickel defender that has the physical skill set, the technical prowess, and the football IQ to be able to effectively cover in space and provide support against the run in the box from that slot DB position, defenses have absolutely no hope to slow down modern spread offenses. It just They can't do it with how offenses have evolved without an effective player at that position. If you only run specialty packages out there based on situation, you're gonna get gashed. Offenses are simply too multiple and feature too many hybrid players that eliminate their need to sub. So whatever specialty personnel package you have on the field, the offense has an answer for it. So the only real answer for defenses is to have their own hybrid players and it's that nickel DB, in my opinion, that is the key to all that. He's the cornerstone of the modern defense. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I believe Tyke Smith is the most important offensive addition to any team in America heading into the 2021 football season. For us to beat the teams that we're going to have to beat to accomplish what we want to accomplish, that position has to be in good hands. It has to be in better than good hands. It has to be in borderline elite hands. And I know all of you are very worried about cornerback, and I'm certainly not free of worry about cornerback, but I've actually been far more worried about the star position, at least until the Tyke Smith edition. And I wasn't freaking out about it earlier in the year because I, I was very hopeful that we would find somebody in the, in the transfer portal to play that spot. And look, I don't want to completely count him out. Maybe Latavius Brini can be that guy. We saw some good things from him late in the season. I was really impressed with him sticking it out all these years and coming in when he got his chance to shine and make some plays for us. But I just still have my doubts that he is that total package, true hybrid player. I just haven't seen enough from him. I haven't seen him enough out there doing those kind of things consistently to say that I'm satisfied with saying that he is the answer at that spot. And on the flip side, we've seen it from Tyke Smith. He's done it. He's done it at a high level in the Power Five, the Big 12, in a conference where they throw the ball all over the place. He was third-team All-American last year. His overall grade defensively, according to Pro Football Focus, was 83.2. His coverage grade was 90. He only allowed 110 yards receiving last year. Quarterbacks had a 56.3 pass rate against him. 
and this is the kicker, man. This is crazy. Zero penalties last year, which is a problem for us at times with those cornerbacks. You know, especially remember the Alabama game. God, it just that killed us. Had also had 61 tackles on the year in a shortened season, a COVID year. So we've seen it from him. He's got the pedigree. He's done it at a high level. And oh, by the way, he also gets to come in and play with the same DB coach from last year, which certainly makes this an easier transition. So what I think Tyke Smith does for us is I think he raises the ceiling of an already supremely talented defense and gives us a much better chance of successfully defending the Clemsons and the Floridas and the Alabamas that we all know we're going to have to slow down if we want to end our national championship drought. So that's it, guys. That's why, again, going back to the thesis, that's why I believe that the star position, what we call our star position, has become the most important position in modern defensive football. And also, by extension, why I believe Tyke Smith is the biggest offseason addition to any college football roster heading into the 2021 football season. And also why I think he could be a key to us making a run to get back to the college football playoff. And who knows, maybe even winning that elusive national title. But that does it for me today here on the Glory UJ podcast, guys. I really appreciate you tuning in, as always, and listening to the show. I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. I'd love to get some feedback and hear what you guys have to say. If you have any questions, you want some clarifications, anything like that, especially when you don't have the visuals right now, I would be happy to hear from you guys on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can also email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. The inbox is also still very much open for anyone who has any specific things they would like us to try to cover here during uh, the next couple of weeks in our scheme theme month. We'll, get, we'll do this through the, the rest of this month, and we'll probably carry over a little bit into June as well. Why not, right? We've got the offseason. We've got plenty of time to talk about some of these things, and uh, I just love talking about X's and O's, so whatever you want me to talk about when it comes to this kind of stuff, I'm game for it. Just let me know. Like I, Again, like Cliff let, it, let me know over the, over the weekend that he was curious about the star position and what Tyke Smith could do and how important he could be to this team. So I was like, you know what? Let's just call an audible and let's run that episode this week instead of a couple weeks from now. So definitely, definitely encourage you guys to get in touch with us if you have any questions. But thanks for listening, guys. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dog.